0: Observing the Lord's Supper just before Thanksgiving, uh, but I know that we've done it uh, for a while. And uh, I do feel just a little compelled to uh, share with you why. Uh, obviously, we, at this time of year, we are contemplating and we are thinking about all of the things that we have to be grateful for. And I suppose, and I would encourage even this coming Thursday for families uh, to gather at some point. And not just to share a meal together and to eat of the bounty that we enjoy here in this country, but I would also encourage you to spend some moments and some time listing off maybe some of the things that you have to be grateful for. I'm reminded of the hymn that we sing, "Count your blessings, Name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done." And oftentimes we talk about being thankful for our good health, and we talk about being thankful for our family. We talk about being thankful to live in the United States of America. If you have a car that turns on in the morning when you go to start it to take you to work, we're thankful for those things. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful to sleep in a, in a warm house during months like this and in a cool house during the summer months. And all of these things we, we give thanks for. I'm thankful for a consistent and, and steady income that comes in to be able to meet the needs of my family and there's not a thing in the world wrong with those things. I think we need to be thankful for those things. But I, I think the point of this service reminds us, before we even get to any of that, the number one thing that we have to be thankful for is our spiritual blessings in Christ. And so, wherever this started in this particular congregation, I don't know that every church does it this way, but we have. And I intend to keep it going. I think it's important for us, the week of Thanksgiving, uh, to consider the spiritual blessings that we have because uh, without those, Paul writes, we would be of all men most miserable. And, um, and so we will pause for a few moments tonight to remember we as a church have made a concerted effort the last number of years to really uh, try to make this service different. Uh, one of the reasons why we just sang just voices tonight, no, no instruments, just to, just to change it up just a little bit and, and uh, try to make it a little bit more reflective and, um, and so we want this service to feel different. We want uh, the, the mood to be just a little bit different. And I, I believe that that's fitting, considering what it is that we're talking about tonight. Well, if you look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, this, of course, is the familiar passage of Scripture in which Paul addresses some of the errors at the church at, in the church at Corinth as it relates to their observance of the Lord's Supper. So we'll begin reading in verse number 23. The Bible says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord." But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. If you're in the habit of marking your Bible, you may wish to mark the phrase found in verse number 28, where Paul instructs the church at Corinth that if you're going to eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you may only do so once you have examined yourself. For the next few moments, I'd like to preach a message that I've simply entitled, Let a Man Examine Himself. I don't intend for this to be a lengthy message, but I do think it's worthy of our consideration for the next few moments. You know as well as I do that the church at Corinth was quite confused about a great many things. Paul spends really the second half of this particular letter beginning in 1 Corinthians 7 and verse number 1, and he addresses the things that they had written to him about. Uh, they, uh, they were in need of instruction as it relates to the relationship between men and women, having a healthy relationship uh, in, that, in, in, those, in those relationships between men and women. They needed instruction as it related to eating that which had been offered to idols. There were questions about that, and he seems to cover that in chapter number 8. Uh, in chapter, uh, chapter 10, I believe, he deals with uh, giving and supporting the minister who labored among them. Sounds like maybe they had written some questions. You know, what is our responsibility to the man who labors in the word and who preaches and teaches and who, uh, who gives himself to trying to build the church? And he gives information as it relates to that. Uh, He talks in this chapter, chapter number 11, about the woman's role uh, in the church as it relates to uh, what role does she play? Is she able to have a speaking or a teaching role? And if she does, how is she to present herself? Uh, He deals with the spiritual gifts in uh, chapter number 12 and chapter number 13. And so we uh, we discover that really the the second half of this book, it, it would seem to be, Paul addressing, Paul giving teaching as it relates uh, to things that they had asked him about. And, and, And based on this portion, it would seem that one of the things that they needed clarification on was the Lord's Supper, Because we discover in chapter 11, beginning in verse number 20, all the way down through the end, verse number 34, uh, Paul takes time to address the Lord's Supper. And based on what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, they had really grown to abuse this sacred time of remembrance. And I want to call to your attention some of the ways in which it was being abused in their midst. First of all, he he says you're coming together to participate in the Lord's Supper. He says it's not making you any better. It's actually making you worse. Would you look in verse number 17? He says, now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not. He says, I have nothing good to say about you at this point in time as it relates to how you're approaching this particular table. He says, I cannot praise you in these things. He says that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. Now, I, think, I think we would all agree that as a, as a church, when we do things, The underlying, certainly the underlying goal ought to be in everything that we do to bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. That ought to be the goal in everything that we do. Uh, but I would also tell you that, you know, as a as a pastor and as leaders in this church, a lot of times we will sit down and we'll discuss certain things that maybe we have done. And if we if we can honestly say, you know, I don't know that that really helped us. I don't know that that made us any better. I think it might have actually hurt us. It might have actually made us worse. Then in, in those instances, we would, we would have to say, you know, I don't know that we want to continue doing that. And Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and he says, you know, you're gathering together, you're coming together in the sacred time of remembrance. It's not helping you. It's not bringing you closer to, to the Lord. It's not bringing you closer to one another. It's actually making you worse. How can that be? If you've been saved any length of time, most of our people, when I hear from them, they'll tell me, you know, I, I really, I really uh, love the Lord's Supper service. There's something about it that it just stirs in my heart, and in my life. And can you imagine, can you imagine walking away from a service like this one and feeling to yourself as you pulled out on the Tiedeman Road, as you pulled into your driveway, you know, that service, it didn't make us any better, it actually made us worse. And yet that was the condition of the church at Corinth when Paul wrote to them. The things that he had heard, maybe the things that they had written to him, as he he sat and as he analyzed these things, the Holy Spirit of God spoke through him and said, listen, the way that you're doing it, it's not helping you. It's not making you better. It's actually hindering you. It's making you worse. Notice the second thing that they had abused and in, in leading him to say, you, 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 you've messed up in this thing. And that is this in verse number 18. He says, he says, you're divided and you're lacking unity as you observe the Lord's Supper. Look in verse number 18. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you and I partly believe it. You know, we, we can be divided over so many things, can't we? As we think about... Um, our world and in our country, as we think about just the way you view life and the way that I view life, it is not at all, it is not at all uncommon for us to have serious disagreements even with someone sitting across the, the aisle from us in the church house. Maybe those are political differences, maybe, maybe they're philosophical differences, Uh, There, there could be lots of things. Maybe, maybe you, you'd sit there and say, you know, I don't, I'm watching this person raise their child and I don't think that I would raise my children like that. I'm watching this husband as he interacts with his wife and I just don't approve of the way, you know, I disagree with the way he talks to her or, uh, or, or the way she talks to him or, or, or I disagree with the way that they voted in the most recent election or I disagree with what they spend their money on. And we could go on and on and on talking about the things that we disagree on. But I just want you to know something. When we come into this place, there is something that we ought to be able to be in uni- unity on. And that is that each and every one of us in this place, especially in a service like this, we are saying, we are saying that we are sinners and he is a great savior. We ought to be able to agree on that. The blood of Jesus Christ that we'll, uh, that we'll remember through the, through the cup that we'll partake of in a moment and that the body of Jesus Christ that we'll remember when we partake of the bread in just a moment, uh, by, by taking those things into our bodies and and by, uh, by, by eating those things and drinking those things, we are saying we agree with one another that we are great sinners and he is a great savior. But in this church, that wasn't happening. Paul writes and he says, I don't praise you in that. When you come together, he says, I hear that there are divisions among you. And he says, I'm, I'm given to believe that. I, I, I suppose Paul was always trying to give people the benefit of the doubt. I think that's a good thing for us to do, to never just assume the worst in a situation. But I think Paul seems... Again, to know enough. And the Holy Spirit of God, of course, is inspiring him. And he says, I want to give you the benefit of the doubt in this, but I don't know that I can. So here's a church that when they partake of the Lord's Supper, it wasn't making them better. It was making them worse. And when they would come together, they were divided, and they lacked unity even as they observed the Lord's Supper. And then notice there's a third thing that they had done to abuse this sacred time of remembrance. They had actually turned the Lord's Supper into a feast for the wealthy. Look at verse number 20. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Seems as if the that when the Lord's Supper was announced, we're going to get together. Maybe it was on a weekly basis they were doing this, or maybe it was on uh, an infrequent basis, however it was being done. Paul does not necessarily address that in our text, but it seems as if when that supper was announced, those who had much those who had profited greatly through business and other enterprises, they would bring their banquet of food and they would dine on it with their family in front of, all the while in front of those who had little or who had absolutely nothing to dine on. And there was no, there was no sharing. There was no, well, here, listen, we have plenty here. Come on over and have a little bit of bite to eat of what we have and have a drink of what we're drinking over here. No, no, none of these things were happening. And those without were shamed and they were embarrassed because they had nothing to eat while those who had much were filled and paul's condemnation of this practice is found in verse number 22 it's not right it's not right how you're how you're approaching this the lord's supper is not a potluck The Lord's Supper is not a buffet. The Lord's Supper is not an actual meal. The Lord's Supper is a table of remembrance. It is a sacred time in which we eat things that are specifically designed by God to show us who Christ was and what he did for us. And what you and I will do tonight, I want you to know that it was not invented or designed by man. Now think about that for a moment. What's so special about tonight? What you and I are getting ready to do, listen, man could not have conjured this up. This is, listen, this, is, this comes, what we're getting ready to do comes from the very mind of God himself. And we don't often think about that, but the truth is that the church itself comes from the very mind of God himself. God is the author of the church. This table, listen, this table, if I can use this term and and say it the right way, it was invented by God as a way for us to remember his death and his suffering. And not only did he give instructions related to what was to be served at this table and and when it was to be served, and and the instructions are really that each church is sort of to do it as often as they want to, He doesn't give, so you you have to do it this many times or you cannot do it this many times. It says, as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup. So the instructions on that end are sort of open-ended, but he also, listen, he also gave instructions related to who was permitted to participate in this supper. So in just a moment, the the men in our church, they're going to serve the smaller plate, it has the bread, and and, and that's unleavened bread. When When you put it in your mouth, you'll notice it's different. It's not like like normal bread that you eat. And there's a reason for that. Because leaven in the Bible is a picture of sin. So the leaven has been removed from this because the body of Christ was not a body that had sin in it. And the the juice that you're going to drink is the fruit of the vine. And and, and when you drink it, you'll understand it's grape juice. And it has a certain color that mirrors in some way the color of blood. And so all of that was designed by God. God. God chose that. That was, that was God's doing. It wasn't my doing. And it wasn't our previous pastor's doing. And it wasn't some man who came up with this. God came up with this. And then God, God also told us, well, how often we were to do it. We were to do it as often as we decide it's necessary. And as a church, we try to strike that delicate balance we feel like if we did it if we did it on a on a regular rotation i mean every single month or maybe even every single week it might become stale it might become a little a little old or a little boring if that's even possible we, we could get so familiar with it that we no longer put as much emphasis on it. It's just another something that we do. And so we, we try to strike that delicate balance. But, but understand this. Listen, listen, God doesn't just care what it is that we put in, in, in these plates. And he doesn't just care about when we do it, but he also cares about who it is that's going to participate in it. Amen. That, that makes a difference too. And you might, you might be sitting here tonight, and you might be thinking, well, you know, I'm in this service, and so I'm just going to participate, because, well, that's what I've always done. But I'm here to remind you that the Lord says, now, hold on a minute, before you participate in this, in this observance, and this ordinance, you better examine yourself. Why is it so important that we get this right? I mean, what's really so important about the Lord's Supper? Well, it's important, first of all, because of what it pictures. Look what he says in verse 26. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. When we eat the bread and when we drink the cup, we are picturing with these elements what Christ did for us on the cross. The bread represents his body that was broken. And the cup represents his blood that was shed for us. We ought to approach this table with much, much seriousness because of what it pictures. Listen, there ought not to, in a service like this, there ought not to be folks on their phones. There ought not to be people whispering and chatting and talking, whether it be here on the main floor or in the furthest recesses of the balcony, that, that, that there, ought to be a, there ought to be a somber element to this service because of what this table represents, because of what it pictures. We're talking, listen, we're talking about the suffering of our, of our Savior, his broken body, his blood that was shed. And, and notice, notice we're not just picturing what he did for us when he, was, when he was here, but I love this. We're also picturing that he's coming back. We show forth the Lord's death till he comes. He's coming again, isn't he? And so by faithfully observing this table, we are saying, Lord, Lord, thank you for what you've done. Lord, we identify with this. We understand that this body was broken for us. We understand that this blood was shed for us. But we also understand that the day is coming in which you're gonna split open that eastern sky. The trumpet is going to sound and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. I'm looking forward to that day. And that's what this table pictures pictures those things. It's not only important because of what it pictures, but it's important because of what it provides. Now, there may be someone here tonight that has been taught that participation in the Lord's Supper provides some form of grace, some form of forgiveness or salvation. I want you to know something. The Bible teaches no such thing. The Lord's Supper and a piece of bread and a and, and a and a and a, a drink of grape juice doesn't do a single thing to wash away your sins. But what what those things picture washes away sin. The body and the blood of Christ—that's what washes away sin. And when a man humbles himself and he repents of his sin and he trusts the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior, then he then he finds forgiveness of his sins. So, what does the Lord's Supper provide? I believe the Lord's Supper provides, first of all, unity for the church. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're all, listen, here's what we're doing, we're all saying the same thing. Here's what we're saying. We're saying Christ died for our sins, and we have accepted him by faith, and that we believe he is coming again. Just as when somebody gets in that, in, in that, in that baptistry tank there and they, and they acknowledge that they believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior and they're buried underneath that water, the water isn't doing a single thing. But it's the picture of what's happened on the inside. The same thing is true during the Lord's Supper. When you take that bread and you put it in your mouth and you eat that bread, you are saying, I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you drink that cup, you are saying, I believe. I believe the blood of Jesus Christ was different than any other blood. And I believe the blood was shed for me. And when listen, when we all do that together, it provides unity for us. Now the church at Corinth was lacking that because they had abused it and because they weren't Participating in the elements as God designed that they be participating in, and that they weren't, uh, they hadn't examined themselves the way that they should have examined. There was a whole lot of things that were wrong with the way that they were doing it. And 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 you know when we 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 come together, listen, we may be different tonight financially, we may be different academically, we may be different musically, ethnically, socially, but we are unified in this: what we believe about ourselves and about our savior and we are unified in where it is that we're going to spend eternity the lord's supper it provides unity for the church when we come to this table what we're saying in this room as we take these elements we're saying we're all the same and you may be better looking than i am you may be taller than i am you may be financially better off than i am you may be more gifted and more talented than i am but at the end of the day listen at the end of the day we're all the same Every last one of us, we are broken sinners in desperate need of a holy Savior. And so it provides unity for the church. But notice, it also provides, I believe, purity for the church. See, the simple fact that we go through this process of examination, or at least we ought to go through this process of examination each time we approach the Lord's Supper, should, listen, it should do a purifying work within the body of Christ. In other words, in other words, you ought to be so conditioned that when you hear, when you hear, wait a minute, the church, in a, in a couple of weeks, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. I need to get some things right. You understand what I'm saying, right? That, that, we're, that we're in the habit ahead of time. Not just when we come tonight, we're like, you know, I'll, I'll unload all of my burdens and I'll get rid of some of my sinful habits in that Sunday No, no. We are preparing ahead of time. We are, we, we aren't, we're not, we're not coming into this building saying, you know, I got lots of work to do in order to be able to approach this table in the right manner. No, no, we have prepared ourselves ahead of time. We have examined ourselves ahead of time. And if we find things that are out of sorts, we are dealing with those things. And we're saying, Lord, I repent of these things. Lord, I'm sorry that I've allowed myself to slip into this habit, to slip into this pattern. I know this is not pleasing to you. I know I have disregarded your teaching. Teaching in this area or in that area, Lord, I repent of that. And you can understand, listen, if the whole church is in that habit, the whole church is in that mode, and, and several weeks ahead of the Lord's Supper, we're doing those things, don't you suppose that it might provide some form of purification in the local church? That's the whole idea is that as we come into this, we're saying, man, I don't want to eat that bread and drink of that cup unworthily. I, I don't want to be guilty of that. I want to approach that Lord's Supper as right with God as I know how. That's why God designed all of this. The picture, yes, absolutely. Because of what it pictures, but also because of what it provides. That's not going to take a single person to heaven. But you know what, if you, if you do it the right way and you begin to examine yourself, it just might make you a little bit more holy down here on this earth. It might rid you of some things that you've sort of gotten a little careless about. And by the way, all of us struggle with that from time to time. And so the Lord's Supper, oh, it's important because of what it pictures and because of what it provides. Now, according to this writing, if we would simply judge ourselves, then we can avoid having to be judged By someone else. I hope, I hope you spent some time prior to this evening examining your life to determine your worthiness to approach this table. And and if not, if if you've never been in the habit of such a thing, if you've never even thought, you know, maybe that's something I ought to do, can I encourage you the next time that we as a church as we gather and you begin to hear that, maybe you see it in the bulletin, hey, wait a minute, a couple of weeks as a church, we're gonna observe the Lord's Supper. Boy, I need to, I need to get along with God. I don't want to walk into that building unworthy to approach that table. And I I understand where you're, I know, listen, we're all unworthy. Christ makes us worthy, I get that. But I'm simply saying that I think that the purpose of this whole thing is to provide us with an opportunity to judge ourselves, to examine ourselves, so that as we come to this table, we come to it as right with God as we know how to be. So, What exactly should we examine ourselves about tonight? I'll just share two things and we'll be done. Number one, I think first of all, you should examine tonight if you are truly saved. Do not, do not, do not take the bread and do not take the cup tonight if you're not certain that you're saved because because you you will be taking that bread and drinking that cup unworthily. This, Listen, this, remember, he, he didn't just tell us what we should serve at the Lord's table, but he also told us who we should serve. Now, I can't, I can't see that, but God can. I don't know. I don't know whether you're truly saved or not. I, I make the assumption, many of you, you've been around here for a long time, you're faithful and you're involved, but I can't, I can't determine that. I can't judge that. So listen, in this room tonight, everyone is going to be, have an opportunity to be served. But not everyone, not everyone should take the bread and should take the cup. Because if you're not truly saved tonight, if you've never been born again tonight, then this is not a table for you. You see, the Lord's Supper is a table that has always been reserved for believers. When Christ first instituted this supper, it was a very intimate gathering, you may remember, of his closest followers. Now, among them was an unbeliever. His name was Judas. But listen, he was posing as a follower or as a believer at this point in time. Now, his time was just about up. And by the way, Jesus knew all along. Jesus knew all along that Judas was an imposter. Jesus knew all along because Jesus doesn't just see. God doesn't just look on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. And he knew, he knew that Judas's heart wasn't right. In fact, on this night, as they're preparing for this supper, Jesus lays it on the line. And he, and he basically says, he says, listen, one of you in here, you're, you're, a, you're a poser. One of you in here, you're not truly one of my followers. And isn't it interesting, isn't it interesting that within a few hours, if Judas partook of the Lord's Supper that night, within a few hours he was dead. And Paul writes, some people took the Lord's Supper unworthily within the church at Corinth, and some of them are sickly. And he said, Some of you even, some, some that were among you even sleep. Now, sleep is a New Testament term meaning you're, you're, you're dead. You were in Christ, but you're dead. Now, that's what the word sleep oftentimes means in the New Testament. So understand that, that because of what the Lord's Supper pictures, it pictures his death. And because of where it is served, it is served in the church. Then it is reserved for those who are truly born again. Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Later in John 3, 7, he said, ye must be born again. Listen, this new birth is essential if you're going to have eternal life, but I also want to say it is also essential if you're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. So examine yourself to see if you're born again. Ask yourself some of the questions, what do you believe about yourself? Who are you? And if you come up with any other answer than I am a sinner, in desperate need of God's grace, then you're not born again. Ask yourself this question. Not only not only who are you, but what do you believe the punishment for sin and sinners is? If you think, well, you know, a slap on the wrist. If you think, well, you know, God is loving and and he is kind, he's full of compassion, and so everybody's gonna go to heaven. Well, guess what? You can't be born again because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. In order to be saved, someone must come to the realization that I am a sinner, that my sin is a big deal. It's such a big deal that God says the payment, the punishment for my sin is death. And then you ask yourself this question, what do you believe about God's son, Jesus Christ? See, lots of people in our world that believe that he was a good teacher, that he was a good man, that he led a religious reformation that he did a lot of good things, that he had some miraculous power, but they draw the line and they do not believe that he was the Messiah, that he was the Christ, that he was the Son of God, that he was born of a virgin. You see, Jesus to a lot of people is just a historical figure. He's like George Washington or Martin Luther or any any number of historical figures that are down through history whose name is known and studied and repeated, but but they do not believe him to be savior. And if you're here tonight and you would say, "I, I, I I don't know that Jesus is God's son and I don't know that he's the savior of the world, then guess what? This table is not for you. Examine yourself. What do you believe salvation or the new birth is some people think it's being good some people think it's going to church some people think it's being baptized if i had a dollar for every time somebody told me when i asked them how do you know for sure you're going to heaven and they started with a sentence that said something like this well i was baptized when i was i'd be a very wealthy man the religious community by and large has convinced people that salvation is some type of religious work It's baptism, it's the Lord's Supper, it's going to church, it's being a church member, it's doing good things. And I just want you to know something. Listen, salvation is none of those things. Salvation is a person repenting of their sins and believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who suffered and bled and died for them and also who rose again. If you believe and acknowledge these things, you believe that you're a sinner And you believe the wages of your sin is death And you believe that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for your sin And you have acknowledged him And you have accepted him And you have repented of your sins Listen, if you acknowledge these things And you've called upon the name of the Lord for salvation You are saved Therefore, therefore you are a candidate to take this table tonight Your salvation is not based on your feelings It's not based on your works Listen, if I base my salvation on how I felt from day to day, I'd probably be unsaved more days than I'd be saved. Because all of us struggle in our feelings. Feelings. The whole world is living by their feelings. God's people ought not to live by their feelings. God's people ought to believe, and they ought to live by the faith that's found in this book. No matter how you feel today, No matter how you felt yesterday, what do you believe this book teaches? And do you believe these things? Do you accept these things for yourself? It is based, salvation is based upon the truth found in God's word and your response to that, your faith in that. And so before participating in the Lord's Supper tonight, make sure you're saved. Can I say number two, not only should you examine if you're really truly saved, but you should also examine before you take this supper tonight if you are right with God. So many of you, you're sitting here and you say, okay, I check that off the list. In my examination, I do, I, do, I do believe that I'm saved. I have repented of my sin and I have placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And therefore, based on the truth of the word of God, my, sal- my salvation is settled. I may not be perfect, far from it. I may have more bad days than good days, but I know this. I know that Christ is my Savior and that heaven is my home and that eternal life is mine. But how about this? You should also examine if you're truly right with God. You see, Paul refers to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1-2 as them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. So Paul believed that he was writing to born-again believers. Can I say this? Listen, born-again believers who are not right with God, they, they, they can take the Lord's Supper, but they'll do so unworthily. One is unworthy to partake of the Lord's Supper if they're not truly saved. We've already established that. But they are also unworthy to partake of the Lord's Supper if they are not right with the Lord. So I would not participate in the Lord's Supper if I found these things in my life. Number one, if I found unconfessed sin in my life. Unconfessed sin disqualifies us from the Lord's Supper. The Bible says in 1 John 1 and verse number 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't know about you, but that's one of the most beautiful verses to me in all of the Bible. When the Bible says that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, you know what that means? The word faithful means? It means he, is, he does it every single time. Every single time. You got sin in your life? You come to the Lord and you bring it to him and you say, Lord, I'm so sorry. Lord, I know this is displeasing to you. You know, you know the spirit is willing, but my flesh is so weak. Lord, I repent of this. Lord, I'm sorry. I acknowledge the sin of my life. Lord, would you forgive me? And you know what? Every single time he forgives. He forgives. He's faithful and he's just. To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if the Lord's Supper is designed to purify the church, then it would not make a lot of sense to participate in it while being impure. It doesn't make sense for us to participate in with unconfessed sin and impurity in our lives. So what is the answer to this? The answer is confession, repentance, and forsaking our sin. Don't don't, don't put that bread in your mouth. Don't take that cup to your your lips. If you said, Lord, Lord, I, I, I ask you to forgive me. I repent of my sin, but you know full well that tomorrow you're gonna jump right back into it. No, that's, that's not how it's supposed to be. We ought to come before him and say, Lord, this thing has a stronghold in my life. but Lord, you're greater, and I'm believing in you to give me victory. I really do want to turn away from this thing. I really do want to see uh, this conquered in my life. He is faithful. He is faithful and just. Can I say, unconfessed sin disqualifies us from the Lord's Supper? Remember we said that the Lord's Supper is designed to make us pure. But number two, If there's division in our midst, that disqualifies us also from the Lord's Supper. In verse number 18, again, he says, for first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. So if the Lord's Supper is meant to unify the body of Christ, then it would not be wise for someone who is opposing unity to participate in it those who possess, listen, a critical, murmuring, bitter spirit towards the church as a whole or towards someone in the church. Listen, if I were you, I'd stay far away from this table. I wouldn't approach it until until I've confessed that so Lord, I've harbored, I've harbored a spirit of animosity, a spirit of bitterness, a spirit of disunity. Lord, I have murmured and I have complained and I have griped about this person or that person. And maybe, listen, maybe there's a legitimate gripe to be had, but unless you've gone to that person, unless you've tried to settle it, then listen, you, you are contributing to the disunity of the church. And those who are living like that ought to stay 100 miles away from the Lord's supper table. Because of what this table was meant to provide, it meant to provide unity. And if you're actively resisting unity in the church, then you don't belong in this, at this table. If you cannot look across the aisle at your brother or sister sitting there and think positive and uplifting thoughts, then you should do one of two things. Deal with it, first of all, and settle it tonight. And if you cannot deal with it and settle it tonight, then do not partake of the Lord's Supper. You may not be particularly close to every member of this body, in a church this size, it's almost impossible to be close to everyone. But you ought not to have an aggressively critical spirit or feelings of hatred and envy and division and jealousy towards someone else in this body. To possess that would disqualify an individual from taking the Lord's Supper. So I'm simply saying tonight, church family, examine yourselves. I'm not saying it, the Lord is saying it. Examine yourselves to see to see whether or not you are Have a seat at this table. And if you're lost, you're going to have a seat in this table tonight by repenting of your sins and placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you are saved tonight and yet you are impure or you are disqualified because of a lack of unity, because of a spirit that you've harbored towards someone else, that can be dealt with tonight. It can be settled tonight and you can have a seat. at Listen, what I'm saying is the Holy Spirit of God says everyone is welcome at this table so long as they do things his way. Everyone is welcome. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter where you live. And doesn't, doesn't, doesn't matter what you've done in your past. You, you're welcome here through the blood of Jesus Christ. But you're only welcome if you've examined yourself. And you can approach it and say, Lord, I, I really do believe that I'm, Participating in this supper worthily. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed for just a moment. We